Welcome to the Next Level Finance Podcast. This is your host, Tony Kane. Today, I've got one of the greats with me, Troy Phillips. So, Troy's story is an amazing story. And if anyone listening out there is figuring out, you know, how you're going to go from where you are now to building an amazing lifestyle, this will definitely be worth a listen. And I've known Troy for a long time and, you know, he's a great mentor of mine. He's been really instrumental of how my career's panned out and I've done a lot of work with Troy and he's really helped me on a personal and professional level to get to sort of where I am. And I know he's done that for a lot of people. So, strap into I'll just let you know this is going to go every which way. Every time Troy and I get together, it's generally we can't stick to an agenda, can we, Troy? No, it's not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> and uh, it'll be uh, it'll be how to focus on being good at mediocrity because that's about where I am, TC. <laughs> I love it. And you know what? I reckon as a suggestion, you might want to put the uh, the speed on the point seven five because I know I talk fast, but Troy's uh, he's up there with how fast I talk. So Troy, we'll get into it. And like I said, mate, we'll we'll, we'll just uh, we'll go off the cuff today, but mate. First things first, take me back to the start, mate. So how did you get started in finance and, and what brought you to where you are today? Um, it was an accident. And by the way, mate, can I just comment you on this podcast room sensation? <laughs> Thanks, It's mate. like you could take someone's... I'm very impressed. <laughs> Thanks very much. I feel like Ray Hadley. Um, <laughs> like anything in life, I, I sort of wanted to wear a suit um, and I wanted to dress nicely and I thought I wanted to be a stockbroker, but uh, leaving school in... Um, you know, 85 and starting work in 86, I realised if you didn't go to a GPS school um, and your parents weren't customers for stockbroking, then there was no chance of getting a job there. Um, I then toyed with being a school teacher and my dad sort of quickly told me that that wasn't a good idea, I should have a year off. So I, I joined Westpac straight out of school. Yep. Um, so I sort of got to wear a suit. I had a Westpac uniform, but it was sort of a suit. It wasn't the one I wanted to wear. It wasn't Hugo Boss in those days, but uh, <laughs> I looked all right. Uh, and I went all on my way and... Um, and in those days, big companies like Westpac encouraged you to study part-time and invested in, their, invested in their staff, which was a great thing. So they paid for you to study. They paid for when you passed exams. So I studied, um, I studied accounting first on. Yeah, um, right. And I was awful at it, um, but I'm very persistent. So I, I, I finished it and uh, I found my way into the bank and I actually loved it. It was a, it was a great place to work and they, um, they invested in their staff and I spent eight and a half years at Westpac and it went on from there. Right. Just sort of, I'm glad you said that because a lot of my listeners out there, they might be leaving school and so forth. And what you said there was you didn't sort of go down the more traditional path of where people just leave school, they jump into a degree that they're not really sure about. Do you think that that path that you followed where you jumped into a, a, a job, right, but then you study on the side, do you, would you say recommend that? Um, not these days, no, I wouldn't. I'd say that you probably should have a year or two off. Yep. I mean, I've got, you know, adult children now, I'd say take a year or so off. Um, and you might work out what you want to be when you grow up. Like most people out there listening, like me, still haven't worked out what what they want to be when they grow <laughs> up. So don't don't feel uh, don't feel like that's strange. Um, and work out what you want to do. Um, just going along. I mean, the HSC. If you're a school leaver, the HSC doesn't define anything the day after you get the results. It just defines how many options you got. Yep. When you get a really great mark of ninety nine point five, you can be anything from a doctor, a vet, to a uh, garbage collector. You can make a choice. Yep. If yep. you get less than that, you've got a street fight a bit more, as you know. Um, but a year later, there's plenty of opportunities out there. I think the best thing you can get in life, other than a reasonably good education, is just have really good mentors in life. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I can attest to that with yourself sitting right here. But is that, is that what you found, Troy, sort of fast-forwarding through your banking career? Did you find that the, the growth for you come from the people you worked with, the companies you worked for, or a combination of both? Um, I found that I... Westpac was a really tough time because we're, you know, getting to the end of it. I we were in a, an economy that had double-digit interest rates, double-digit inflation, and double-digit unemployment. So you were happy to just have a job. Um, wasn't like it was now where you could switch around. Yeah, and, right. Um, the pay wasn't great, but it sort of hardened me. It, it 
didn't make me, you know, I didn't drop my head at the uh, the first uh, first obstacle I ever came across, but I did dream about doing other things. Like everybody has, you know, every Christmas I'd come back, you know, thinking I was going to do this, going to. I mean, I think I even thought I wanted to go and um, sell secondhand furniture at one stage. There, I thought I'd be good at that because I did a garage sale. That was a bad idea, I'd suggest. <laughs> but um, yeah, coming back to the coming back to the question, I think it's just it's it's all about resilience and mentors, and I think that. Leaving Westpac, I was lucky enough to go to a small business called AMS, which was owned by AMP Investment. And I met two guys, Kim Dalton and Ross Valentine, who believed in me. And um, yep. I think they believed in me more than I believed in myself. And they gave <laughs> me some autonomy. And um, I realised then that I had, uh, you know, I had something. Yep, yep. Uh, and it, one thing I'd, I, you know, in life, I'd, you know, as long as I'm a, I'm a fat smiley bloke, I'd never give a mug an even break. If you're going to be good, you had to be pretty good to get past me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was going to be there an hour earlier than you. I was going to be there an hour later. Like your output might be better, but I was going to be seen more. Yep, gotcha. And uh, at staff drinks or anything, I had better face and better chat than you. So um, <laughs> your chances were pretty limited in those days. You might have an MBA, but you weren't going to get past the bosses. Mate, I love that. <laughs> I love that. And when, when did things take off? Because I know like... Um, you know, for myself, sometimes you grind in the way, especially in your early twenties and sometimes late twenties, and you're thinking, "Jesus, is this ever gonna? Is this ever gonna culminate in anything?" So, take me back there. Did you well, sort of? Was there a time when you, you know, you sort of thought, you know, what? I've got this banking thing. I'm going to be something and make some money. Yeah, I, I didn't know about making money, but I knew about going forward. I think the first eight and a half years were a real grind. It was, uh, it was, you know, it was getting on the train, looking at self improvement. I studied a, a lot. A lot of courses I didn't you know just because I think I was punishing myself because I probably was pretty lazy at school um, and I got that chance to go and join a company called AMS and I stayed two and a half years there then a, um, a business called Bank of New Zealand was bought by NAB and they paid one dollar for the to buy Bank of New Zealand um, which says a lot about the bank it sent itself broke <laughs> back in the um, back in the you know the financial crisis back in about 97 and um, I was 29 and they gave me a uh, I built up a really reasonably good set of skills by then in AMS in a, in the mortgage market and in um, the lending market as yep. as, a, as being pretty well known and good at what I did. Um, but let, let's be honest, the competition I had wasn't very good, so that's probably probably why I was number one. Um, <laughs> and BNZ gave me a uh, gave me a job as second in charge of this bank, and I'd met a guy called Brian Jones who was an old school banker who'd been through a um, who'd been through a recession and everything else, and he took a shine to me and he knew a lot about doing workouts and restructures and I think he saw that I had a lot of energy at 29. Yep, yep. So I got put in charge of a, a lot of a lot of people and I'd never really managed anybody but about three people previous to that and I had guys that were, you know, in their mid-40s to late 40s and I had guys that were, everybody was older than me and I thought, well, I'm in, I'm in pretty deep here. I either know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing. And, yep. I, and that's where I think my biggest strength was I, I, I knew how to, I know I'm actually a reasonably good people manager. Yep, yep. Um, I can get the best out of everybody. I never take a Macquarie Bank approach. I don't like having everybody, you know, you got only one bloke wearing French cuffs and a pinstripe suit <laughs> who thought they were good. That was me. And then we had guys there that were like burnout, had a divorce. We had young guys who wanted to get go forward. And I thought, this is good. It's a, it's a cadre of like, you know, professionals, but everybody's got a different story to tell. Instead of being a uh, the Macquarie Bank quickie cutter approach where everybody's got the same degree, everybody's got the same obey. So what I realised was if you get a whole lot of people with a common cause and a chip on their shoulder, it's probably like a sporting thing. They, uh, they'll, they'll run through brick walls for you. And I think I learned to manage people pretty well through that next three to four years. And I, I did a really good job. But sometimes I look back now and go, I was so patient. Was that really me? Because I think now... I'd probably shout and jump up and down, but uh, you know, <laughs> age, 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 and life does that to you, TC. So, Troy, looking at your lifestyle now, right, and I know how hard you've worked to get to where you are, and I know that uh, you and April have an amazing lifestyle, but you're still in there in the office grinding every day. So, mate, do you sort of look back and go, "I'm really glad that I worked my guts out to sort of build a lifestyle for myself and my family now"? 
maybe then I had visions of running the World Bank and I yeah. realised now that, that wasn't for me. But it's like the old saying, you know, whatever you start out to think you're going to look like five or ten years down the track, it's totally different, but it's generally a pleasant surprise. I've been lucky that I, you know, I met April when I was very young. Yep. I got married at 23. Um, and as I always said, I think I was a handful. I think I thought I was on a footy trip for the first ten years of marriage. I, <laughs> you know, I remember when the kids got to a certain age, I'd, I'd sort of kept forgetting their names. I was out all the time. So I had a very patient wife, but I had a wife who, who pushed me hard as well. Yep. And knew that I had had some some good points and she knew my bad points and yep. she put up and managed with them all. So I, I was lucky in that way that home was always an easy place for me. I was not like, I see the new generation, a lot of them have got a lot to balance and a lot of the women these days, not saying anything, they've got careers as well. Yep. Um, and April was an accountant, she gave up a job, but she made, made home easy for me in those days. So that took a lot of pressure off me. Um, it's it funny you say that, mate, because it's exactly right. Like the, the the generation has changed. Where that wasn't, it's not as I, I think for the younger listeners out there, maybe the Gen Y, the millennials, it is a little bit tougher. It's not it's not that expectation where one person, whether it's the husband or the wife, can just go out and do all the work, and the other person has to look after the house. Those days are sort of gone or going. Would you Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, you come back from my dad was a toolmaker, and I think you got a call at work, and they said you've had a baby boy, and he raced to the hospital. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I was waiting at the hospital and I think I've been a reasonably good father and I've been present as much as I can. Yep. Um, I'm not like I see people in these corporate jobs now that are younger than me that are giving up a lot yep. Yep. in life. Um, but I think you can overparent as well. Yep. I see people that have, have had a lot less than, you know, the, the, the kids I see in the southern suburbs that come out as really good functioning human beings. So 100%. Yep. You know what? It's uh, Water will always find its level. And, yep. you know, you're going to have good years, you're going to have bad years in life. Um the problem is you've got to sometimes go easy on yourself. I just think that these days I find that with there's so much, everybody's, people aren't present. They've got the Instagram account. They've got their Facebook account. They think someone's always doing better. Yep. And that can be a bad thing because maybe sometimes they are, but sometimes they're not and you get confused with what reality is and what your life is and what your station is. If you're happy with your station in life and things are going well, sometimes just accept it. Um, and I think these days a lot of the parents out there, it's it, a lot of them don't seem like they're, they're they're ready to grow up either. I look at them and they, they, they like, they're still out there trying to be 25 themselves and they're 40 and it's <laughs> yeah, like, that, yeah. you know, it's a time you need to pull the reins and come back. But it's, that's just life. It's not it's not a judgment. I just think life's busier. Life expects more. Like the old caravan park at Kauri is not a holiday option for a lot of people. Yeah. But they all want to be overseas <laughs> in Bali and Fiji. They yeah. want to be in, like, you know, New York. But good on them for having ambitions. But the world's just faster paced. And yeah. That's why, like, a lot of people seem stressed all the time. And I think I'm just circling back to what you said before, especially with your banking career, there's not a lot of people who are just sticking at it at the moment. I think at the sign of the first uh, bit of, you know, pain or a little bit of challenge, it's like, okay, well, let's get on seek.com and have a look around. Is that, you know, I think, and that's great. I think people developing skills and working for different companies is amazing. But at, would you agree that at some point in time, you've got to pick and stick, right, to accomplish something great? Mate, you've got to have loyalty. I mean, look, not everybody's going to invent Facebook, Amazon, you know, Twitter, so you've got to know your station in life. I think you've got to uh, be realistic, but I think loyalty is a massive thing. And I mean, I joined Westpac, I was never going to leave. I, I was loyal, they gave me my first job. The only reason I left is that the, the bank almost in itself broke in the um, in the 90s and they bought an American CEO called Bob Joss and he um, he said, I want people to leave the bank, learn and come back. And I thought, well, this was at the entertainment centre and, and they opened up all the roles and I went for a job in a sales role and they said, no, no, you're never going to be a salesman. I thought, well, my days are numbered here. Um, and my wife was earning, you know, double my salary, so I was a bit emancipated. I felt pretty embarrassed that, you know, my <laughs> wife was earning double what I earned, so I, needed, I knew I needed to pull my finger out at that stage. That was at about 26. <laughs> yeah. That was, the, that, was a, that was a sort of the trigger for you, was it? Yeah, that yeah. fired you up there. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, coming back to loyalty, I think you've got to, as I said, you've got to have good mentors 
you've got to treat people well, you've got to service your customers well, but you don't measure a man by his wallet ever. You've got to measure him about what they do in their life and, and the skills they've got. And if, if it comes really easily, I can tell you, you know, you don't get this much grey hair. I can tell you if it comes really easy and you look at someone and you scratch and there's so many people you meet and you expect so much and there's nothing there and there's so many people that you think will be underwhelming, that overwhelm you, they're actually, you know, more successful. I just think you've got to, you've got to just, you know, take it with a grain of salt, loyalty, serve your customers, know your job, know your skill set and you will go ahead but it's a time thing. And Troy, from knowing you so well and, you know, the guys that you've, that you've helped develop, you know, Chris, John and Greg and, yeah. and myself and, and many others, now that you've sort of reached a point where, you know, you've, you've been really successful and I'm sure you're just getting started, right? I'm sure there's a lot in the works for you but does that is that one of the things, seeing the growth and development of people that you've basically brought in from the start and seeing where they've got to today, is that one of the things that you're most proud of? Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very proud of that. I mean, I, I, I don't select hundreds of people and I just share my, my words of wisdom and my most of my failings I like to share because <laughs> you learn from it because I can see sometimes, because, you know, I always say if you get 7 out of 10 right, you're doing well. If you get 6 out of 10, you're doing pretty well. But, you know, no one ever gets 10 out of 10 right. I like to just share information. I'm not one of those people who's guarded about anything because, yep. as I said, I'm, I'm not running the World Bank. I'm not sort of, What's you your know, Melbourne Cup horse analogy? Isn't that, yeah. Well, mate, I, yeah, you, you know, that my, my take in life is, and this is one out there for all the people that are listening to this, and I hope there's hundreds of thousands, <laughs> um, I've never been the sort of person who would want to own a Melbourne Cup winning horse by myself because who are you going to have a beer with after you win it? You want to have it with four or five people because, you know, when you go to the reunion and the story it gets bigger as you, as you get older, well, you want to share it with someone. The yep. people that own it as one, I think it takes a very special person. Like, you know, John Simons is an amazing person that he can go and come back from bankruptcy, build Aussie home loans at a certain time, but it's a lot of timing involved in that sort of stuff as well. And do it all by yourself. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a lonely world, but some people like that I admire, but I'm the sort of person who needs to do it with other people because I, en- I enjoy other people's company. Yep. Um, and I enjoy being part of something. Maybe that's just just a personal trait for me. It's not for everybody. Oh, mate, I think that's great. And let me circle back, you know, this being a finance podcast, I'm really interested to understand, Troy, how you've sort of used your income from your businesses and so forth to sort of grow your wealth and what your thoughts are on wealth creation outside your business. And the question... I ask that because a lot of people that I mean, they throw everything into their business and they think their business is just going to be there forever and just being a cash machine. So what's your take on that in terms of growing wealth outside of your business? I've, I've always invested in, um, in people and in businesses that are pre, pre-stock exchange listing. So yep. I, I back people first. And yep. so you back a few losers there. But I think these days... I look for the next. I look for the next play in technology or how it's going to change an industry. Yep. Yep. Um, but that's not for everybody. But the best advice I could give someone who's looking at it is, you know, and this is advice: I'll stretch yourself on your own occupied house because it's, it's you know, it's capital gains free. Yep. Um, so just I, to jump in on that, Troy, because yeah. you've mentioned that before. So you're sort of saying, listen, when, once you get to a point where you're starting to make some money, you like the idea of people sort of you know like buying a you know a home that you know it's going to be really long term and maybe bigger than they think they can sort of. You know, attain yeah. right now. Or? I think you have to. I think. Yep. I think now. Um, and this isn't me because I've always. I'm, I'm actually. We. We. You know. We. We work as mortgage brokers at first point, but I think now debt's so cheap. It, it. You should have a fair bit of it. And smart people have said that to me. Yep. Yep. Um, but as much as you, as much as you can comfortably handle, obviously. But I think if there's a property out there that you really like, yep. Stamp duty is so prohibitive. I think if you can jump that next level, so if you can go from a two bedroom unit to the house that you sort of want, yep. Instead of a maybe a, a duplex or a townhouse, do it now. Don't don't hesitate. Yep. You know what? I see a lot of that, Troy. And sorry to jump in here, buddy, but um, 
I see a lot of clients where they might be living in a unit which is worth, say, 600000 at the moment and they want to move into a house which might be worth $1.2 You know, that's their next step. But they can't quite afford it, you know, whether from a borrowing perspective or from a cash flow perspective. So what they do is they go and buy the wedge property, which is, the, you know, that property which is worth eight or 900000 which they think they need, but it's only really a short-term play. It might be a two- or three-year play. And the problem I see with that is it costs them, you know, thirty to grand to get in with stamp duty, another twenty to thirty to get out with agency fee. So that exercise of jumping the gun and buying that wedge property sometimes has actually cost them sixty grand as opposed to they would have been better off either going to rent something that they, you know, would like to live in until they can afford to buy that bigger property. I don't <laughs> speak from someone saying this is what I've done, I'm the smartest person in the room. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. I probably made every mistake in the books so I'm sharing with you that, you know, as an old mate of mine, Alan Harvey, who's 81, he was a very senior bloke at Westpac, said to me, he goes, never short Sydney property <laughs> over, over a 10, 20-year period because it always comes back. It's a city that everybody wants to live in, and that's true. Yep. Um, I think the Southern Shires are a really strong place. I do get concerned when people go out and gear into, you know, 10 investment properties um, because, they, you know, they're going to be positive to get or they're going to save tax. But, you know, it's, it, the strategy behind that sometimes it worries me that, you know, if the property doesn't go up, um, you know, your circumstances change, you lose your job, you're stuck with property that may, you know, I've got a pretty simple theory. If you don't drive past it most days, um, you don't know the market, well, you don't know what's going on, you're not going to make a killing on it. But that's just me. And I, I, I don't disagree with you there. And I'll have, I'll have a lot of listeners and there's, there's going to be sort of, um, you know, different schools of thoughts from it, depends who you speak to. But the smartest guy and the richest guy that I've ever worked with that's been involved in property, he said the simplest thing to me. He goes, what you should do is you should drive to the middle of your capital city. So if you live in Sydney, drive to the Sydney Harbour Bridge. He goes, and just keep walking until you can afford what you want to buy. Mm. He goes, because at the end of the day, um, you want to be able to, like you said, drive past it. And there's no the next hotspot is not a hotspot. You know, there's a reason why things are cheap. And the simple thing that he taught me, which I it's worked really good for myself and a lot of clients, is the number one thing that makes property prices go up is wage growth. Right, mm. so and if you look at where the, the the wages grow in capital cities, so it's I mean, do you think that people maybe overcomplicate it, Troy? The whole getting rich, yeah, hundred percent, and it's a long way to walk north to Papua New Guinea if you want a big waterfront, <laughs> and it's pretty dangerous there, and the commute's pretty tough, I'd say. So yeah, they overcomplicate it, and they read too many books. Yeah. If I see another person up spruiking, talking, get rich, selling property, yeah, old dead set choke my own vomit. They are the biggest. <laughs> hoaxes I've ever seen in my life like I, and, and I guarantee on a current affair every five years they pop up if you know the secret to making a billion dollars you don't share it so mate if that's the case and I do I do agree with you um what would if you're if you know you're a 20 year old sitting on a train at the moment trying to get rich what do you think you know if you if you had to do it all over again and you're trying to think all right how am I going to make my, this, my mark on this world and sort of create some wealth for myself and my family what direction do you think you'd be going down Troy regardless of what industry you might work in I'd be investing in yourself. I'd be understanding how Amazon, Google, Facebook, you know, is going to change the world. Um, SEO, I'd be, un- I'd be looking at some of these Udemy courses that you, you look yep, at online. Yep, yep. Um, and I'd be going to work and trying as hard as I could because yep, not yep. everybody's built to be an entrepreneur. Yep. Um, and I would, I'd, I'd try to travel to a, a place externally, and I think America's a great spot, but, yep. the, um, but the dollar's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Asia, I would try to get around a bit. I wouldn't be focused too much on tying myself into a lot of debt right now. I'll be investing in myself. Mate, I love that. And because, mate, I, I sort of think of it like this. 
traditionally you used to have to go and pay thousands and thousands of dollars if you wanted to get education or something. And I know that I recently wanted to upskill in a certain thing, right, when it comes to this digital marketing sort of thing. And I just jumped online. I, I, got, a, I got access to a course. It had everything I need. It took me a month and it cost me $400. So I think the world's changing a little bit where the traditional education is still important, but maybe only for certain you know, industries and specialisations. Well, look, yeah, it's, it's, if, you're a, if you're a 20-year-old on a train um, and you're going to work in a bank, just do the best job you can do. But there's always, you know, this Udemy, there's people that have been to Princeton and Stanford that are putting, you know, you can read financial statements, what to look for in, you know, corporate reports. They're putting they're putting a million dollars worth of education online for 60 bucks. So if you spend three hours listening to them, um, you're going to pick up some good tidbits. I'm not, I'm not discounting, you know, traditional education. I'm just saying just invest in yourself. Oh, man, it's funny you say that because, like, I talk to a lot of people where they say, I want to go and buy a property out in this hotspot because it's going to make me 40 grand. And if I... Act- I sort of just talked to him. So listen, if you worked back an extra hour a day, right, and upskilled in your own, investing in yourself and upskilled in your own work and made that extra sale or, you know, designed that extra thing for your process for your work, the likelihood is that your next bonus is probably going to be 40 grand. You're going to get a 40 grand pay rise either at the company you're at or the company that you can potentially go to. So I think people need to start thinking that, you know, gone are the days and, uh, you know, you own a mortgage company, I own a mortgage company. The reality is even if you thought that buying 10 properties was going to create your wealth, the simple fact of the matter is the banks won't lend you the money to do that stuff anymore, will they? No, the days of gearing up and, you know, having credit where they'll let you borrow the rent will service the property and get eight properties or nine properties, is uh, it's gone unless you've got a good income in your own in your own job anyway. And like you said, you've got no control anyway. If you look at investing in yourself, like at the moment, I just, don't, I just think if you're, if you're out there of any age, there's never been a time for your income to increase. Like mm. I'm looking at all these online courses and I'm seeing people, clients of mine that were on 100 grand yesterday, they're on 250 tomorrow, mm. purely just by upskilling slightly and getting themselves in the right company. Yeah. And I think what you said there before, if you're looking at these big companies, it's no secret where the flow of money is going to. You know, the, the world's going to be owned by six or seven companies one day, don't you think? Well, <laughs> unless something happens, it will be. But, I mean, you've got Bernie Sanders in the US, so there's obviously there's obviously people that are upset with the way the world's travelling. Um, you know, I, I, I saw that Macy's in Seattle shut down. That's its home space because Amazon's won that war. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's still something quite nice about walking into a department store sometimes and having a look around and seeing and scratching and touching it um, than, a, than a box just turning up at your front door. Your front door. But, you know, I, I understand that's the way the world's going. But... You know, not everything's as it seems. I mean, the coronavirus hit and, you know, the world's changed overnight. Yep. Um, I, I, I still think cryptocurrencies, there's something in, in these cryptocurrencies. I think the way we transact with cash, cards, everything else will change. Yep. I mean, we're seeing less and less folding stuff and paper money getting transferred around. Yep, yep. Everything's tap and go. Um, well, I was in China recently and everything's on WhatsApp. You yeah, know, you can you can literally pay for everything on WhatsApp, and they were saying that over there that all the vendors, even the bloke selling cigarettes, or you know, apples on the corner of the on the corner of the street, he still prefers a WhatsApp, and he'll 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 happily pay the tax because he doesn't want to be ripped off with a dodgy note. So uh-huh. yeah, well, and that's China. There's one point four billion of yeah. them, um, and if they're acting on WhatsApp, that's a market, isn't it? But you know, coming back to someone investing in property, the only advice I would give someone is that you know your home is your. Uh, your home is your castle. It's where your family's brought up. It's where you go to relax on weekends. Pay your home off as fast as you can and focus on getting the best place to be and that's where you'll make the most money. Yep. Um, you know, if you're, Great if, you're, advice. if you're a builder and you're handy, you can add value, buy the biggest block of land in the best place and build on that. If you're not and you're like me, buy something that someone has already spent the money on and pay the premium and enjoy it and pay your debt down as quick <laughs> as you can. Don't use it as equity like a credit card to go and buy stuff that may or may not go up in value. Yep, yep. Great I mean, advice. look, this isn't financial advice, but if you love property so much, the four major banks are geared towards the property market anyway. You can go and get a margin loan through a stockbroker and it's easier than a home loan and they'll let you gear into a, a margin loan. Um, if you're really bullish about property and you want to, you know, 
you want to run that market. It's just as simple to do that. What do you but, say? Oh, sorry, yeah. just to cut in there. What, what Troy's saying there is, well, all the banks basically, if the property market goes up, all the banks benefit, you know, by by nature of that. So sometimes it's cheaper just to go and buy bank shares than it is to go and gear up and buy, you know, shitloads of property and pay all the stamp duty. It's pretty easy to sell it too. You ring up someone and they uh, they put a trade through for you, and, and the, the money's in your account the next day. <laughs> exactly. So Troy, mate, moving forward. So I know that you and April, you know, uh, you know, you've like you said, you've raised a great family, you've got a great business. If you were to sort of fast forward, we're sitting here ten years from now. What would have had to have happened to, for you to feel like you've had a really good last decade? Do you think both, maybe most, mostly professionally? Oh, mate, I've had. I've, I've, you know what? Every your handicap's down the scratch. Yeah, or. yeah. Well, no, that's never going to happen. The golf <laughs> handicap. I'll farm that out. It's too hard having a low one. Um, you know what? I lost a dear mate, Brett Harley, to brain cancer, and that didn't. You know. That, that knocked us all around a bit. But yeah. I realise now that you never have a bad decade. Yeah. I yeah. mean, life's for, li- life's for the living and life's for living. And uh, you, you look back, you don't, me- as I said earlier, you know, you don't, there's two great sayings and uh, you don't measure a man by his wallet. And yeah. uh, the other one my grandfather used to always tell me is um, no point ever looking back. You only get a sore neck and that's true. <laughs> um, he's a very wise bloke. I love that. Yeah. It, uh, so... What just, about health, mate? Like maintaining I'd love to your be, energy yeah, and stuff yeah, like I, that. You know what? I'm, I, I'd love. I'd love to be healthy. I'd love to have some uh, some grandchildren in ten years' time. Yep. Uh, you know, I'll be sixty-one or something like that. I want to. Um, I want to still work, and yep. I want to. I, I, I want to travel, but I'm not like. I get away from home for two weeks. And I get a bit antsy. I want to be yeah. back. I, I don't don't dislike. I couldn't go and sit on a boat, or I couldn't go and walk around on a um, on a tour, talking to people um, about you know. 300-year-old statues and 500-year-old <laughs> statues for four weeks. I could probably do it for 10 or 12 days, but I'd, well, I'd go stir-crazy. Well, it's funny you say that because I've got a theory on this, right? I, I meet people that they're, they're working so hard and they're all stressed out because they need to retire at 50, they need to retire at 60. Where I, I don't have that – personally, I don't have that viewpoint. I sort of take the approach of find an industry that you like and a job that you like doing and do it forever. Even if it means yeah. at 60 you, you knock it down to three days a week and at 70 you go to two, but – I think there's a lot of merit in having somewhere to go forever, and I know, I know that you sort of uh, are on the, of the same vein. Well, you've got to be part of something, and I see a lot of um, guys get to a certain age and they work to retirement and they retire and they uh, they go downhill. Really. I see it at the golf club; they go downhill really quick. They've got, yep. you know, I, I, th- I think the uh, the spiral starts when they start going doing the shopping every morning, and their <laughs> wife sends them out of the house because they're probably pissing their wife off so much. She kicks them out the door, <laughs> and they know the price of milk, they know the price of a loaf of bread, and they start walking slowly and they start talking about shit. And you think, Jesus Christ, three years later. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's a fair point. So, Troy, tell me what your thoughts are on, say, superannuation as a, as a whole. I think don't discount superannuation. Um, even if you're a trader, you're self-employed, put money into super because I think it's a, it's a great investment. It's tax-free and you get to a point one day where it can be discretionary money that you can spend. So another thing is don't – when you're 21, 22, super is not important. When you get to 52 – you start to look at it, you go, geez, I'm glad I put that money away. <laughs> and the markets have been pretty good. Um, and that's when you know you're getting over 50 when you start looking at super and worrying how it's performing because everybody starts to talk about it. But Oh, mate, my old man, I go around and have a beer with him you know, most Fridays and, you know, I couldn't – he wouldn't be able to spell super 10 years ago, but now that's all he talks about. He's, yeah, got, well, he's almost refreshing the uh, the app on his iPad every day, having a look at the balance. And that's where Australia is not um, – our super is compulsory. We're the envy of the world. We've got that much money put away in, um, in you know, super – and it's net-net. If you net off what Australians have got in super to their debt, we're actually no worse off. People say our household debt's not as high as people say because if you net the super off, uh, Australian household debt is actually in pretty good shape. Quite low. Interest rates are low. Yep. Well, mate, I, I have a bit of a philosophy, right, with, with in terms of wealth creation that I think anyone largely falls into. And I think it's you need to work up towards buying your home 
your long-term home, like, like as you said, your castle. I really like that terminology. But work towards buying your castle, pay that off as quick as possible, make sure you're investing in your suit because that's going to be like your lifeboat that comes, you know. And then maybe maybe if you leverage off your home at a, in a safe sort of way, buy one or two properties, you can't, as long as they're in the right spot. I mean, that's not rocket science, but I, I don't think over the long period of time, Troy, would you agree, getting wealthy, it's, it's almost about just making four or five really good decisions and hopefully no crappy ones. Would that be a sort of a fair call? Yeah, follow your gut and do your own research. If someone's trying to sell you something, you, don't, you want to be serviced by people that are mortgage professionals, accountants and lawyers. You don't want to be sold something by them. Yep. So if someone's standing there t- written a book and telling you how to make money or how to buy a property and your gut's saying, I'm not sure about it, well, you generally back yourself. How many times have you been railroaded into a really bad outfit by a shop attendant in the old days or anything else. It's generally, it's just, it's more expensive with the property. But I mean, I had a, uh, we got a young customer the other day and I bumped into, uh, in at, at Ham at the coffee shop and they were looking around um, Potts Point, Rushcutters Bay for a bed sit. And I said, look, you know, I think Kirribilli is actually underrated. That North Sydney area, the precinct's going ahead. Yep, yep. Um, it is, uh, and it's good buying over there still because people think Kirribilli's through the roof, but it's not. There's some, there's some little one bedrooms and studios and uh, I think, uh, she bumped into me and she said, I'm actually looking right now at Kirribilli. There's just better buying there. So she's done a research and I think she's going to buy into somewhere. She's going to get a really good rental return. But I heard an interesting stat the other day. The square meterage of, uh, of any state is generally equal, to, if office space is generally equal to the population. So, you know, Melbourne's, you know, about 4 million. Oh, yeah, okay. And office space and Sydney's the same. It's about the same. Oh, and, right. and office space is about the same. But they're saying Sydney, because Barangaroo came in, Sydney's got so expensive that people are starting to move out to North Sydney. North Sydney rents are starting to move up by 30%. So people are moving to Chatswood. I see the, um, you know, I look at Tarrant Point and think Tarrant Point was an industrial area once, like uh, it's similar to Collingwood was down yep. in um, Victoria. It's yep. got all those sawtooth. I think it's like close to water, close to the airport, reasonably close to the city uh, as opposed to other areas with transport. You'd have to think that's something in the next 20 years that's up for, you know, uh, bit of growth. regional, um, um, you know, gentrification and moving into Tarrant Point in the industrial, moving into more, residential than industrial mate 100% I love that I love that and I love your approach and I know that so Troy owns a business called First Point Mortgage Brokers and I know the guys down there really well and I, I know that Chris and John and Greg what they focus on as well as what we do here is not so much that when they do a, when they're talking to a client about investing it's not so much how much you can borrow right I think the first question is how much can you afford because I believe that making money over the long term it's all about just affording the staying of the game I don't meet many people who have held property for 20, 30 years and go, shit, I wish I didn't hold that for that long. Because, but what I do, what I do unfortunately meet a lot of people who go, oh, just the cash flow, it was, you know, it, it was too, it was too expensive. I couldn't hold on to it. So I think what Troy's saying there is, you know, you've got to make sure you can, you know, when you buy, obviously doing your research to buy in the right area is, is first and foremost. But secondly, you've got to, you've got to give your chance, yourself a chance to stay in the bloody game. Because, mm. um, you know, you might not make it, make a cent for 10 years. But that 11th year, that's when all the growth could come. Is that what you've seen, Troy? Yeah. I, I definitely, I've seen things that I've, you know, I've held for eight, nine years and I thought, I'm scared to get an appraisal, I'm scared to put it on the market. <laughs> yeah. And I put it on the market and sold within two weeks and I thought, well, I got that right. But I didn't get it right. It was just by luck. It wasn't by good, you know, good strategy or anything else. I just held something long enough that the, it rode the wave and the property market went up and popular, you know, around that Hurstville area, the property market went up and away I went. It wasn't that I was a genius, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> and mate, I love that. And mate, I've really enjoyed the chat today and, and Troy and I have, could speak for hours and hours and we could go off in all directions and don't get us started on, on rugby league because you, you won't be able to get off this podcast. But what would be the biggest piece of advice if someone's out there and they're thinking, all right, well, I want, to, I want to become really wealthy in the long run, what would you say, apart from investing in yourself, would there be anything else you could recommend to listeners out there? 
don't focus on it yep. because it won't happen. Yep. Don't make your end life reading books about, you know, billionaires and because it's not you. If you don't try as hard, it's like the best advice I had when I went into business myself. April said to me, Troy, you're trying to catch the ball too hard. It's like yeah. Brad Fittler catching with stiff hands. <laughs> focus on what you're good at yep. and get other people to help you with what you're not good at. Yep. And you should go all right. And that was the Love best it. advice. Try, sometimes you can just try too hard in life. Focus on what you're doing tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Focus on, on servicing your customers. Focus on self-education. And also, stop and smell the roses sometimes. Sometimes it's easy to belt yourself up and think someone else is doing better. They're generally not. I always say you have those old fuck moments. The person you thought was the most successful and the best you've ever seen, 10 years down the track, they're blowing themselves up and you look at yourself and you go, Jesus Christ, I'm lucky I'm not that person. So <laughs> I love don't, that. Be your, don't be your own worst enemy in life. Focus on what's realistic and enjoy the journey because it can change really quickly for the better and the worse. Mate, I love that. And I promise the listeners out there, there would be a couple of gold nuggets and there it is. You know, I think if you can uh, if you can just listen to the Troy's advice there, it's almost impossible that you can't live a happy and uh, prosperous life. So, Troy, mate, I just wanted to thank you for coming in today. It's, I really appreciate your time. I know that the listeners out there would have got a lot out of today. And uh, just so you know where to find Troy and the boys. So Troy owns the company First Point Mortgage Brokers. They're down in Cronulla. If you wanted to give them a call to organise some finance, their number is 9527 2230. Thanks for coming in today, Troy. Thanks, TC. It was a pleasure. Loved it.